My head talk guest today is Kai Novalsil. Kai is the Chief Procurement Officer for Accenture. Prior to this, Kai led the global Accenture sourcing and procurement practice. Before joining Accenture in 2005, Kai spent 12 years in the global procurement industry, where he acted as divisional CPO for commercial operations at Sanofi Aventis for five years and ran procurement operations at Deutsche Bank for seven years. Kai specializes in advising chief procurement officers and procurement function leads across a wide spectrum of industries on the digitalization and value contribution of procurement. He is the author of Accenture's Future Procurement Studies and he is based in Frankfurt, Germany. This podcast is sponsored by Dow. Dow combines one of the broadest technology sets in the industry with asset integration, focus innovation, and leading business positions to achieve profitable growth. The company's ambition is to become the most innovative, customer-centric, inclusive, and sustainable materials science company in the world, and operates in 30 countries, employing approximately 37,000 people. Dow champions a fully inclusive workforce and a diverse supplier portfolio, reflecting the world in which we do business, because it's the right thing and the smart thing to do. Dow Supplier Diversity Initiative focuses on identifying and building relationships with enterprises owned by women, minorities, veterans, LGBTQ, and people with disabilities, as well as certified small businesses. Heads Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle Schwitter. Uh, welcome, Kai, and many thanks for joining me in this episode of Heads Talk. Thank you for having me. That's great. Shall I just kickstart with the, the first question? Um, among other things, um, I would like to talk to you about one of the things you are championing in the procurement space is supplier diversity. Your program has won an award. Um, please, for my listeners, elaborate on what is supplier diversity in the procurement space, your program itself, and the award. Oh, so supplier diversity for me is really fair opportunities for all partners you could you could think of. So for me, it's a particular focus on suppliers that bring innovative ideas that are agile and nimble the way they operate, and they are led by yeah people that qualify this statistic of being then considered as a diverse organization. But I would say I'm not doing diversity necess- necessity for the reason of diversity. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it because I'm completely convinced that organizations that are run by entrepreneurs and that, as I said, they are agile and nimble they are helping companies the size of Accenture um, really to continue to innovate, to be challenged and to, to really move into, into differentiated thinking and, and, and always trying to, to test new ideas. Um, but I guess what, what you find in that space is that companies are usually configured to work with companies that are their size, right? So I think there is some sort of a more natural connection between, in my case, a big company with another big company, because then 
you, you're talking the same language, you probably have the same measures, you have the, you have the, the same understanding how the corporate architecture works. But uh, as I said, most of the diverse suppliers, they're starting small. They are starting entrepreneurial. They, 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 some of them are extremely successful and they're growing um, to real big corporations. But some, most of them are starting small. And, and the programs we are really looking and, and implementing are how can we help them to understand the corporate environment? So how do you need to maneuver in the corporate environment? Yeah. But I wouldn't say that it's just us learning from them, uh, that, that, that it's us teaching them. It is equally us learning from them because, um, as I said earlier, the whole purpose is really having access to differentiated thinking. And if you're just saying, hey, I'm a big corporation and I'm telling you how corporates work and I want you as a, as a diverse supplier to act like a corporate, then I probably would lose all that momentum. So all our programs are really around this logic of helping them to understand, helping us to understand, helping them to create a stable business and, and, and really helping them to to understand the way a, a company in a corporate environment should act. And we are running what we call uh, diverse supplier development programs. That's exactly what I'm referring here to. Mm-hmm. And we have had hundreds of companies going through it already with a very senior stakeholder support on our side and with mm-hmm. great successes. Um, award-winning for me, Award-winning as such is not—it's not the purpose, right? <laughs> Award-winning. It's, nice to have. <laughs> is, it's more recognition. It is—it is number one. I'm using. Um, I, I, sometimes we are trying to submit to awards to making sure that people know about the seriousness of our program. Mm-hmm. That we have a platform to talk about the program, but much more importantly. For us, it's a platform to recognize supplier diversity and inclusion as something critical for the success of a company. And, and when, you, when, you, when you have a chance to get an award or you're interviewed or something like that, you can, you can share your beliefs. And, and that's for me the power. The power is really to have a platform to talk about the importance that we are seeing given all the, the stuff that I said um, earlier already. So, so, so what I'm, I'm gathering from you here is that the program is such that it's a two-way street, that you're both learning from each other, the, the diverse suppliers learning from the big corporations. Can you give us an example of what you've learned from some of these suppliers? Yeah, um, so you're absolutely right. It's a two-way street. Um, and the, 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 actually it's not something specific, uh, in, in my belief, working with, and I, I hardly use the word supplier in my language because for me, uh, a supplier is, is in most of the cases, it's a, it's a real partner mm-hmm. and, 
Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you will much more hearing me her, hearing talking about partner programs and how to partner with 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 the others. Mm-hmm. And and why am I saying that is you bringing a partner on board for something they are better than you are, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's whole that's the whole logic. So I'm not bringing in a partner slash a supplier for something I could do myself. I bring a supplier or a partner on board for something that I couldn't do myself. And that's why I call it a partner. And, and, and now talking a little bit why I'm using quite strongly this two-way street also on partners that are rather diverse in their logic is that logic of saying they can do something I'm not doing uh, or I'm not doing well enough. And that is they have very short decision ways. They have very clear focus on entrepreneurship and innovation. So they have a they have a different, let me use the word mindset. They have a different mindset of taking risk, of acting agile, of listening and um, that is what I'm probably learning from them. I'm learning from them that risk-taking and fighting for your beliefs is, is perfectly, it, it's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. And when you then think about the corporations, right? Corporations tend to discuss a lot of things. Corporations tend to debate a lot of things. Corporations tend to design business cases and with that potentially losing a little bit agility and as you said that's the two-way street you as a as a diverse partner you need to understand that decisions and mindsets and and uh, ways of operating at corporates might be different but i also need to learn that on diverse partners their mindset is different and that they want to test, that they want to try. That is nothing like, it's not like a trial and error, but it's, it's their type, it's their philosophy and their type of mindset. So if you're asking me about the two-way street, it's probably that learning of the, of the different mindsets of running a business. Mm-hmm. And that is why I said earlier, corporates and corporates and uh, go much easier together because they have some sort of the same beliefs and the same mindsets and therefore they understand the language and that's why we're putting these programs in place that we that we trans it's almost like a translation of the languages of both of both parties yeah. and that is um i i would i would describe how they how they teach me they teach me their mindset and 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 teach me their their way of of taking decision and their way of of agility but maybe also their way of passion right because you you cannot run and build a new business if you're not a strong believer and passionate about what you are doing and and taking your personal time and money as as your commitment is something very different to the mindset in in corporates i hope that gives you a little bit of a of a, of a good feeling or a feeling what I mean with this two-way street uh, without completely now talking about one example because they all 
There are so many examples, but they're all in the same, in that same logic of um, agility, entrepreneurship, risk-taking, speed. Could you all translate into mindset? Okay, that's good. I, I, I think it's interesting that you talked about you cannot do it yourself, therefore you need to bring on partners. I want to talk about that a little bit later because I want to talk about that in parallel with shared risk. And so bear that in mind. But mm-hmm. uh, let me move on to the second question. Um, first, it was great to actually physically meet you at the recent um, European Supplier Diversity Summit event. The message of the conference was to get more multinationals involved in supplier diversity, start their own programs and start the process. Do you think that message is getting through? Um, or do they need that, I don't know, C-level champion like yourself to ensure the success of such programs? The, the clear answer is yes. And then I need to, <laughs> I need to balance a little bit my yes. <laughs> okay. Um, the yes is for companies that coming out of a culture where diversity is something extremely anchored, um, like the US culture, right? It is, this is anchored. Um, we're seeing great examples in Australia. We're seeing great examples in Africa. Um, and then you go into Europe. And, and I'm not saying it's not equally important in Europe, but it is probably something currently developing because um, it has never been such a strong focus, such a strong program like it was established also by the US government and so on and so forth. So um, I think if you, if you would put a little bit the world map out, I would say the yes is, is true for big US centric, maybe also UK centric companies, but it's but now, and, and, and if you think about what, what it was, it was driven by more or less governmental measures, but now everybody sees it has a benefit, mm. and that's why it's it's now coming into Europe, and it's now on the sea level um, radar as well. And that is, is exactly because it's not a statistic. I, we always say, and, and I have shared at the conference this, this video, uh, diversity is not a checkbox. And for me, that is the fundamental difference between good and bad diversity programs. If you're just doing it for the purpose of fulfilling a statistic, it's wrong. If you're doing it for enriching your your partner base and enriching your uh, your, your your agility your your uh, yeah all your all your creativity also to speak then it becomes a belief right it's a belief and a mindset and my yes was yes sea levels start start to believe into the benefit and into the into the value and now, because so many sea levels are talking about it, it, bec- it, it becomes a snowball effect. And now you're seeing a lot of big players talking about it. But I think it took the big players to talk about it, to bring it to people's um, attention and on their radar. Mm. 
Okay, so effectively, it's you're saying it's still sort of in the embryonic stage in Europe, whereas it's kind of taken shape in perhaps the UK and the US. So I would say yes, and I would. Um, you cannot generalize it, right? There yeah, are also a lot of European companies where it's already extremely mature, mm -hmm. but you could probably tie it back to, yeah, that, that's an international company and they have seen how it works. Mm -hmm. And um, I think we are now seeing that the companies that really fully embraced it they are by far beyond the embryonic state and they are now at the uh, at that logic of it's part of the architecture. Maybe in the teens. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, like in, in Accenture's world, in my world, yes, I ha we, we are talking about it, but we are not talking about to educate. We are just talking about uh, as business as usual, right? For us, yeah. Yeah. business as usual, um, and every time we are putting something into the market, we we are not saying, oh, now you need to do it because of the statistic. No, we're doing it because it's part of our ecosystem and yeah. our mindset. Yeah. So, so effectively, they're starting to see elsewhere the benefits of implementing this program. Yeah. But as we know, in any corporation, it's a minefield trying to culturally change that corporation. So I, I think the... If they see the benefits and and then that will sort of expedite the change itself so you know in your words how would they start this they're seeing the benefits elsewhere and they're thinking of starting this program or starting supply diversity how would how would they kick start it what are the things they need to do especially what's importantly to make it work such that in your words that they turn these suppliers into partners thereafter and make it a success out of it how, how do they kick start that if it's still in the conversation stage in some organizations and they want to move from conversation to implementation how do they go about doing that the word that immediately came to my mind was seriousness <laughs> <laughs> and and what i mean with that is you need to be serious and what seriousness for me means is you need to be willing to invest and I'm not talking about necess uh, necessarily about money. I'm talking about time, management, attention, and yeah, mo mostly time. And um, that's what the word, the word seriousness in my logic means then is if you're not ready to invest time, if you're not willing to challenge the way you operate, then it stays a tick box. The moment you are willing to change the way you operate, and I give you a concrete example, starting with diverse suppliers, by definition, they're sometimes smaller. They are sometimes new in the business. Mm -hmm. You can imagine how their cash position and cash flow looks versus a cash flow at extension. If you're now trying to put on top of it just the corporate payment term program, whether you increased from 30 to 45 days, from 45 to 60 days, from 60 to 90, it doesn't matter. But if you're trying to measure them all with the same 
payment terms. So you could only become a supplier slash partner by accepting my payment terms. You will unlikely make a diverse supplier successful because they cannot live with the 60 day payment term given their refinancing cost and their cash flow position. So that's what I mean with seriousness. If you're now saying, yeah, but my corporate program says this is my payment term, you better don't start with um, diverse suppliers because um, you will never match. You will never match with them, um, or at least not with the ones that are just starting to grow, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you change payment term programs? That is not just the CPO declaring we are changing it. It needs finance, controllership. Um, it needs sometimes even the business to to agree to it. And if you're not serious, they will not agree, right? So that's what I mean with the word seriousness. So if you're asking me how to jumpstart it, it's very simple. It needs to be a mindset and a belief that has seen your attention. And with that mindset and belief, you, you must be empowered to challenge the status quo, how you usually interact with your partners and suppliers. And you need to be willing to accept to their to do business to their measures, and that's coming coming back to what we already discussed earlier. This is the, about this programs like understanding how they work and how we work. Mm -hmm. And cash might be one very concrete example that they work differently. Another example is contracts. Think about how how large, how many pages corporate contracts have. Most of the companies that we started to deal with, they don't even have a, a legal department nor a lawyer. So now throwing over a 50-page contract, which mitigates everything and, 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 and covers everything, is perfectly inappropriate <laughs> at the beginning because you're starting a business and you need to start it on a three-page contract yeah. type of that's why i use the word seriousness if you're not willing to to challenge your status operandi um in in dealing with them you better don't start so you're, you're pretty much talking about real change here you're, you're what i'm getting from that answer is that you're saying corporations should be should exercise a hell of a lot of flexibility, perhaps flexibility that they're not used to or have done so before, and also implement a bit of compromise as well, especially when, when you look at what they're dealing with in terms of the suppliers themselves and their, their capabilities. So Absolutely. That, that's, that's and, and compromise always sounds, I, I think compromise sounds, a good compromise sounds fair, but for a procurement person, a compromise is almost like I lost. Yes. And yes. I think that the big change is this is not a competition. This is a business enablement function. So my belief in procurement is probably anyway less about negotiations, competition, uh, as you may have sensed already when I talked about suppliers versus partners or partners versus suppliers. Mm -hmm. But um, that, 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 that logic of um, really being willing to, to, to see the benefit then it's not a compromise anymore, right? Then it's a belief and a mindset. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is. Okay. So effectively, corporations, you need to be serious about this before you embark on this change. Absolutely. Okay. 
Let's move on to the next question. Right. Um, I've watched the Accenture Inclusion Starts with I video and loved it. Um, the message speaks to me and many of my peers and my listeners. How did that come about? I know it's been around for like, three years now, the video. Uh, the concept, the message, the production of the video, just tell us, just walk us through it. Because, you know, especially for my listeners that have not listened to that video or have not watched it, I just think it's hear it from your voice, what that's all about. It's all about that logic of seriousness and mindset, right? Mm -hmm. If you are not conscious what you are doing, you are not doing it wholeheartedly. And that was the idea behind the video. We wanted to remind people that if you want to be serious, you need to be conscious about um, the, way, the, the way you interact, the way you look at people, the way you appreciating them, the way you, yeah, you interact with them. I, I think the logic is very simple. You, can, you only win and you only diversify your business by not trying just to find more of the same and, and I would almost say more of you, right? Mm -hmm. To accept that the diversity definition is it's somebody different. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and that's the logic behind the video is that mindset of accepting that somebody is different doesn't mean that that somebody is, is, is not valuable or is not um is 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 not better is not worse than you or better than you right so this this logic of this mindset of open eyes open arms and accepting that somebody is different is that logic of that video and in a company our size our diverse culture um it still needs sometimes a reminder that the, 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 you can you can only implement by being consciously yourself about your counterpart and how your counterpart may feel, how your counterpart may look, how your counterpart may think, how your counterpart may act, and that is the logic of that video. So it's consciousness we're trying to create, and the whole logic is always this. It's mindset, it's mindset, it's mindset. You need to believe in it. It's been around for three plus years, the video. And as I said, people can actually look at it online um, in, on YouTube. What organizations have actually approached you, approached Accenture because of that video and say, look, we're changing the way we do things or we're looking at things ourselves or we're noticing now. What's the impact outside of Accenture itself, do you think, has happened and they've actually approached you about it? I would say it's two uh, different effects. One effect is a lot of our suppliers and partners are using it mm -hmm. to, yeah, to use it with their clients uh, to, to really yeah, showcase how, how you should look at it, right? So you could use it almost like a, an advertisement in that logic. Mm -hmm. 
And for Accenture, I think the, the, the reaction I'm having quite often from my peers is, has it changed your mindset? What, 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 um, so watching it, what, 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 exactly the question you were asking me, why did you do it? Mm. And my answer is because I wanted to anchor it. And a lot of companies then starting to, to see, to, to ask me, okay, how has it helped to, to embrace supplier diversity? How has it helped to embed it into your daily thinking? So for me, it's, it's a quite nice door opener to explain my logic of mindset and how I'm, how, I'm, how I'm trying to roll it and embed it into the procurement organization. And, and it clicks with a lot of my peers to say, I, it's not a checkbox, right? It is self-reflection and the last thing I'm using it for, and I'm hearing a lot of people talking about it, it's like it helps to overcome old-fashioned procurement thinking mm. or even company thinking, like everybody needs to be the same and, and you need to compete with the other to be the winner. Mm -hmm. This is not the case. You need to embrace the other to be together greater. That's the little bit, the, 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 the three feedbacks I'm hearing. That's, that's great. And I'm assuming that wasn't done in, I said, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't done in isolation because there's been another um, associated videos or I don't know if it programs at the getting to equal the pride at Accenture. I think one of them was championed by your late chair and CEO, Pierre Nanton. Um, could you tell us more about in terms of um, when, what happened at what time? The most recent one, the inclusion starts with I, or any anything I've mentioned? Um, they all, I would say it's it's a series, right? So it's a it's a series of embedding the mindset. And the, the video you reference from Pierre, for example, is in coming back to what you and I discussed earlier, mm. don't start the program if you're not serious. Don't start a program if it's not embraced by your C-level. Don't start the program if it doesn't become company architecture and belief. And a CEO talking about it and, and, and using and openly talking about inclusion and personalized inclusion. And there are many videos from, from Pierre, they are now from Julie, Mm -hmm. It's just a repetition of we believe in it. It's, it's, it's nothing we are doing for marketing purposes. It's something we are doing for sharing our beliefs and therefore it's a serious. The, 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 the one with starting with I is probably, as you said, three year old, mm -hmm. but I could not time it now, time box and say one was earlier, one was later because for us it's, it's all around one theme. It's around one creation of a mindset. And it is just confirming again, the program that I'm leading has backup from the most senior people in my company. And only with that, I can be serious. <laughs> and mm. that's, that's the logic behind the video. So it's, it's, it's always, we, we are doing it because we, we believe also in the power of visualization and personalization of messages 
and um, you definitely want to showcase it also to your own staff and people that it is completely embraced by the top of the management. Oh, right. So that's excellent. So when you talked about seriousness, you in Accenture, you really do mean that in the sense that it's not just a video that's put out there for people to look at. You're living it in Accenture. It's a continuation. You've passed the baton on to Julie Sweet, who is reiterating the message. That's what you're telling us here. And you're continuing with it as such, yes? Absolutely. And again, that is probably why I, I confirm and repeat what I said earlier. This is not a tick box. This is, a, is part of a corporate architecture and mindset. Otherwise, it will be an uphill battle for a CPO to launch a program like our size and our seriousness. Yeah, yeah. It's a corporate redesign as such. It's a corporate, it's a corporate, it's a corporate belief, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Okay, let, let's move on to the, my next um, question. Um, you mentioned very early about not being able, in terms of the procurement process, not being able to do things yourself. That's why you do bring on partnerships or create partnerships with some of the suppliers you want. Um, I was thinking more sort of on the shared risk side. And do you think many corporations who are aware of potentially this supplier diversity implementation and the fact that it will do some good, but at the same time, are not doing anything about it, probably because of the risk factor, the unknown. They're a small organization, most of them potentially, We've not worked with them closely before. Is it too costly for us to implement such a change? Do you think that mindset still is there? And that's one of perhaps some of the, the hindrance, maybe in, in the, the European market, because you said in the US and the UK, they sort of move from embryonic to perhaps teens. But do you think some of that's going on in the European market? There's this, there's this fear factor, even though we, we go through procurement to share risk, they think this risk is too great to share. I, I would take that question much broader than diverse suppliers. I think there is still a very common theme in procurement that changing suppliers and partners is a risk <laughs> and you, you it's much more comfortable to deal with partners you know you have embedded them you know how they function you have direct access to their management you have clear understanding of contractual obligations you know each other forever mm. um, it's perfectly fine but if you really want to challenge the status quo, you need to take risk and you need to, you need to be willing to change. And one part, one, one, one part of suppliers you could decide is you change to diverse suppliers. But as I said, I don't want to make that a discussion about diverse versus non-diverse suppliers. Mm -hmm. To make it a discussion of, if a CPO wants to stay on top of the agenda and, and really wants to be uh, some sort of a business enablement function and not just a procurement processing function or yeah, procurement process processing function, then 
you need to challenge and you need to take the risk because if you don't do it, you don't bring new partners, new ideas, new innovation, new mindset, new opportunities to the table. And I have been, I've been on record a couple of interviews where I really talked about procurement or the CPO is almost like a dating agent. I need to date new opportunities uh, with, with the business. And um, that's my role. And to date means I need to bring in new partners and I need to bring new ideas because long-term relationship is not dating, right? That is managing. Mm-hmm. And, and I see procurement not only as a managing function, I see procurement as an enablement and a challenging fun- challenger function. And that's why I think that's, <laughs> I use the word so often like mindset and believe. Mm-hmm. It's another belief. You, you can only be a valuable procurement function by being ready to move with the business to new frontiers. And that might be new suppliers, new ideas, new innovation, new solutions, and so on and so forth. So risk in my world, risk taking in my world is something I'm taking every day. But risk is only negative if you're not aware of it and you don't know how to manage. And that's the next step. You need to be aware, you need to manage, and you need to have the right attitude and leadership instruments to to also change the moment you see it was the wrong decision. But that also has to do a lot with self-confidence and and acceptance to fail. And that's why I'm making the answer a little bit broader. For me, that is not a diverse discussion. This is a discussion about positioning of procurement in an organization. Let's um, let's keep it on the broader level. Um, let's move on to general topics in procurement. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, that dating line. Um, because there is a quote that's attributed to you, or you've recently said, procurement is the tinder of innovation. Elaborate. Um, that's, that's exactly the, the, yeah. the, the point I, I, I meant. And, and tinder, a couple of people came back and said, you shouldn't have used this, this analogy. But the point I wanted to make is, it's a platform where you get to know somebody else. And that's exactly the point here, right? Procurement needs to facilitate to get to know somebody else. Because if you believe that the only supplier you're dealing with, the solution you have in place right now, then you're not progressing anymore, right? You are just managing a stable environment. But if you really want to succeed in the marketplace, you need to reinvent you every day. And the only way you can reinvent yourself is by networking and collaboration. And that's what I meant with the platform and the logic like Tinder. Mm -hmm. Procurement needs to provide access to new ideas that the business can then see whether that is something that takes them forward to the next level. And for me, Steady stage is boring and it's probably the biggest enemy of success, right? So therefore, you really need to challenge the status quo and that's, that's um, what, you, what you really need to take forward. And that's what I meant with this analogy. And if you then think about 
who's the best function in a company to do it? The function that has the broadest access to all type of solutions is procurement, right? Because I'm not running a business. I'm running a, a procurement. I'm running a function. R&D runs business. Um, uh, sales and marketing runs a business. But I, 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 can, I can look left and right and can see whether there are synergies. And growing up in a, in a, in a consulting environment, you know networking is the, the highest value you could ever have. And that's exactly what I'm taking into procurement. I'm taking it into, into that logic of networking, collaboration, being open for new ideas. And that's a little bit the analogy I was using. All right. Okay. Right. Yeah. There are two things we cannot not talk about in conversations like this. Number one is digitalization and the other is now COVID-19. So let's talk briefly, briefly about digitalization. And you've, you've mentioned quite a bit of stuff. So I think it kind of crosses over into this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and then you can just fill in the bits that you've not mentioned. Um, your role as CPO of um, Accenture has seen some changes in this digital era. What changes have been made or are being made to ensure the role itself remains relevant and essential within the business? Or is this a, a presumptuous statement and no change is required? But I kind of know the answer to that, but it'd be great if you sort of elaborate to our listeners again. For me, digitalization in Procurement has three dimensions. One dimension is, and that's probably the most obvious one, it helps you to make repetitive activities more efficient. And that's the logic more or less of RPA. So it's the way of mm -hmm. how can you how can you make a process predictable, programmable, and that was that repetitive? That's the most obvious, and I don't think anybody would debate that we are seeing great successes there. Um, the, second, the second dimension is what I would call challenging the status quo, because digitalization helps you to challenge, to, to question what is the real value proposition of procurement? And, it, and, it, and, and if you think about it, a lot of definition is procurement is a commercial competition. It's the right negotiation. It's the right product at the right time with the lowest risk. But I think that is certainly an activity of procurement, but it's not an activity that needs to be performed by procurement people. What needs to be performed by procurement people, and referring back to what you and I talked about when we talked about networks and Tinder in that logic, what procurement needs to spend time on is dating, on scouting, on facilitating networks, bringing ecosystems together. But today we don't have the capacity because we are stuck on sourcing in contracting. So my next logic of digitalization is we will see and have been seeing already a lot of uh, a lot of artificial intelligence solution that taking over 
sourcing and contracting activities. And that's, my, that's the number two, and we're seeing it already. And the number three is then digitalization is if you really want to connect the business with the outside, you need to, you need to stay on top of your data. It doesn't make any sense to connect somebody with somebody and, and there is no benefit by connecting them. So that is what all the logic of data driven is all about. And you need to stay on top of your data and you don't need to just stay on top of your supply chain data. You also need to stay on top of your business data. And bringing both together is what digitalization, the art of digitalization in procurement will bring. So in a nutshell, I think we see digitalization taking over two clear, um, strong procurement processes like source to contract and purchase to pay in a more automated, more repetitive, more AI-driven logic. And with that, it asks procurement to reinvent uh, the value proposition and the value proposition is around that networking and that is data driven. So that is my logic of what digitalization will do to procurement. And, and therefore you can either embrace the change and start to be this dating networking ecosystem manager, or you staying to be the process manager. But the moment you stay the process manager, you, you, you make your department shrink in terms of headcount because the process will be performed by technology. And um, I once was writing a study about procurement, the organization of one, which was really radical thinking to say, if a procurement CPO stays as the source to pay manager, then he will, he will basically manage a server farm but not necessarily a department. So the department he will manage, and that's the networking department. And that is a radical change in the mindset what procurement is here for. That's what digitalization in my logic means. So in a sense, there's almost, there needs to be an, a name change, would you say? In, in terms of what is being done now? Because I, I have been debating that when I was on the strategy side for a while. Um, and you could, you could argue for a yes, but you could also argue for a no. <laughs> Why could you argue for a yes is if procurement was positioned as a processing organ, as a negotiation and processing organization, and that was the meaning of the CPO, then you probably want to change because you want to change your image. And then you might want to, that's the pro, then you might want to think about chief value officer, chief ecosystem officer, or whatever. But if you were constantly as a CPO pushing the boundaries and already took the function into a business enablement, into business partnering, into innovation, and procurement is in your company then already positioned as a value adding, then you don't need to change the name because then you are the chief procurement officer and the chief procurement officer has, has been known for innovation and always the, the step to the next level, right? And then you don't need to change the name. So I would question myself, had I been a CPO who was uh, 
strongly managing a process and defining the, the existence through compliance and control, then maybe you want to think about a rebrand. If you were already a procurement manager who moved on, I would not do so. And, and, and in my logic, we haven't. But we have changed the function's name. We call it Procurement Plus. So mm -hmm. I'm the chief procurement officer, but my people are all belonging to a procurement organization that is now called Procurement Plus. And the reason is the plus resonates a lot with, with our stakeholders to talk about, oh, what, what do you mean with plus? And then you can start about the value add, the new value add that is beyond the source to pay. So that's a little bit how I did it, but I was not considering and I would not consider to change my title because it is an industry standard and it's well appreciated and acknowledged in Accenture. All right. Okay. That's good. Right. I want to end with um, COVID-19, not the best of endings, but we, we, we all would like to end with it, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but we have to talk about this, I'm afraid. You know, 2020 thus far has been, it's fair to say, disastrous for businesses. Um, we've been dominated and paralyzed uh, with um, COVID-19 outbreak. How has this affected business generally, and in particular procurement activities? You know, I, I believe now more than ever that the if we're going back to the diverse suppliers we've talked about, we'll really need a lifeline for multinationals and large corporations such as yourself. What is the message to them? So, first of all, I think COVID-19 is a, and everybody says it's, it's an unprecedented case. So, uh, nothing we could have anticipated. Mm. If, you, if you're asking me, we were basically going, I, I was basically going through three phases or have been going through three phases. Phase one was making sure that whatever happens in our, in the lockdown scenarios, our partners, suppliers, and we can still deliver to the contracts. So to our clients, to the value we promise to our clients. And that meant enable working from home that meant bringing people back home from where they were protecting people from getting sick and so on and so forth so my whole focus was keeping our client delivery up and running and part and strong strong embedded in our client delivery are our partners being a diverse or non-diverse suppliers so my focus was clearly on how do I take them on to, in that journey? Mm. The, the, now, I'm, the, the, now we are, I think, a little bit in the second phase. And the second phase is the lockdowns are the new norm. We know how to, we, we kept everything up and running. But now we need to watch cash positions, right? Now we need to watch uh, our partners healthy and stable financially and that is right now my second focus because imagine you have a cleaning service but the office is closed but mm. after the lockdown you need them again how do you how do you how do you keep them engaged or contractors uh, that we are using in the thousands how can i make sure that they stay fully productive and how do I make sure that they come as strongly out of the crisis like we do. So that's the, the current focus. 
But what I'm recently seeing in the last week or so is we're starting to design scenarios for post-lockdown, right? So what is, how will the world look like? Is your, so will, will the way you call, deliver to your clients continue to the same? Will work from home be a new norm? How long will the scenario take? Will it have waves? Will it have ex exponential curves of demand? Nobody knows, but you need to prepare your sub you need to prepare your supply chain, right? So you need to you need to think about any type of scenario that might happen. But you cannot that that's my strong belief. None of the scenarios I can do without considering my partners. Yeah. Nothing of that because yes, I could come out quite okayish, but then I'm losing thirty percent of my suppliers. So you have a knockdown effect later on. So. This crisis, more than any other, has, has shown to me that partnering, open discussions, being together in the business is fundamentally critical. And it helped us to keep everything up and running because everybody was working towards the same target, also our partners. Now, it's a very open dialogue. What do we need to make sure that we all staying around? But it's, we are starting to move into, hey, let's also talk about the scenario after and how we could even come out stronger. And that's how I'm seeing it. So despite all the disaster, it has taught me one thing or it has confirmed one thing, and that is the power of networking and partnering. Yes, indeed. It sounds like a military operation, what you've just explained to us. And it, 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 it days when four countries were locked down yeah. 24 yeah. hours right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. India, philippines yeah. and then uh, mass ma major offices in the us in 24 hours mm -hmm. and to keep everything up and running it's a miracle yes but maybe it's created by collaboration and everybody working towards the same purpose. Indirectly ready for it in, in, in your ethos. Um, well, I'm glad to hear that you, you do sound well. I hope you're, you stay well and keep well. And many thanks for this um, interview, for this conversation and for your time and insight. Thank you very much. And I have to say, I really appreciated the question. It gave me also a good time to reflect and confirming and challenging a little bit of my belief as well so it's always good to to be challenged by by questions and it gives you a chance to reflect oh, thank you very much it was it, i enjoyed this conversation indeed thanks for joining me today on this episode of heads talk don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website elainepringle.com forward slash heads talk or wherever you get your podcasts finally i'd like to thank our sponsors guests and you helping to make the show possible please join me next time where i'll be featuring more executive decision makers and heads of multinationals heads talk podcast with your host elaine pringle schwitter